Hi. Hi. Hi, Bianca. Um, you're wearing a Good Vibes shirt. I'm vibing I, off your Good Vibes. I am. I'm wearing a Good Vibes shirt. I just came from the gym. Hi, everybody. We are in my dressing room. At Warner Brothers. At Warner Brothers. I just saw a crazy crowd going into Ellen. Did you? Oh, they're wild maniacs. Well, and Tony, our amazing sound editor, he came here and he told me that he was looking for a parking spot. And then he had to park in a different parking spot and went to go ask a security official cop looking person if that was okay. And the guy was like, I'm sorry, I'm just an actor. So only (laughs) only on the Warner Brothers or any other Hollywood lot. When I was driving on, I almost hit a man who was like six, seven, and he looked like Lemony Snicket. Yeah. It was so weird. His legs were so skinny. I didn't know. It's everybody comes here. Everybody comes here. And it's always like every day that I drive on the lot here, I always feel like, um, I'm, you know, in one of the movies that I saw as a kid where like they're driving on the lot and there's it's like, like the montage, you know, like Betty Boop's walking yes. by and like, it's so <laughs> true. So, it is. I mean, I think of all the studios or lots as they are called, uh, in Hollywood, I think Warner brothers is kind of the most iconic, uh, and it's pretty magical, it's pretty magical. And you guys, it's so cool because like in all the hallways of, um, where all the dressing rooms are attached to the stage. There's these beautiful, like black and white photographs of movies and actors and actresses that shot here, and it's so you feel like you're such a part of the history of it. In Stage 18, where your show Undateable uh, goes on live every Friday, yeah, they that's where Casablanca was shot. I know it's so crazy, isn't it? And it's like you think it's so it's so nuts. I mean, obviously, like the dressing rooms have probably been added on and updated and all that stuff, but you're still kind of part of this collective energy of. Um, of this business and, you know, as, as like kind of God awful as it can get sometimes it's, it's good to remember that magic of it. And that, um, the reason why you kind of get into it in the first place is I know for me, it was like, because I would just sit in movies and, and it wasn't even like when the movie, it would be the trailers. I would always get goosebumps when I watched the trailers and, I just always thought like, oh, I want to make people feel the way that I felt when I was sitting in a theater and I would just get giddy with excitement about some movie. Um, Oh my God, that's going to come out soon and I want to go see it. And um, That's so sweet. Sweet. My husband, Adam, is always like trying to drag me into the theater so we can catch the trailers. Oh yeah, I know. I will be so bummed if I miss the the trailers. Um, Well, our listeners might have noticed that I have a preschool cold again. (laughs) Preschool cold or a plain cold? I think you just went, you just traveled. I just traveled to Texas for a wedding and it was during that insane, the biggest hurricane in history in Mexico. So there was tons of rain in Texas. Oh my God. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. And so, um, I think I was starting to get it and then you stand in the rain for a couple days and fly (laughs) and you, I got it. Yeah. It's so funny. In the past 10 minutes that we've been here, uh, Bianca's been pulled aside by my husband, Adam, who writes on Undateable. And then we ran into Bill Lawrence, who works on, well, who is the showrunner, yes. the, the, the top dog on Undateable. And it's so amazing to see this whirlwind that Bianca's in right now. And so it's fun and exciting for us to be in her dressing room. And also just to see like the insanity that she's juggling right now. Yeah. I mean, I don't think... like The show was always kind of crazy, but... With it live, I think everyone's on high alert and, you know, we have essentially five days, four days really, because the fifth day it has to be put together and on its feet. It's like get this show on and, um, you know, the, the pressure is on everyone and there's this massive clock that's ticking all week long and, you know, there's no like consideration of you have a baby to get home to or you have a podcast partner um, or anything. I have to go get my legs waxed. I mean, any anything that is important in your life is just pales in comparison to th- these everyone trying to put on this show. And, um, you know, <laughs> poor Ellie has been trying to like schedule recording times and it just hasn't happened. So I just want to let all of our listeners know that, you know, for the time being, at least with the craziness here, I'm going to try and get together with Ellie as much as I can, but there may be a few episodes where she's, uh, taking everything uh, on her own and, and rocking it. And I, it's going to be great because I think there's going to be some, um, I mean, I'm not going to divulge any, any uh, upcoming topics because I'll let Ellie uh, talk about those with you guys as they come, but they're great. They're fantastic. Yeah, and I'm very, very excited exciting. for all of you guys. And I feel like Atomic Moms as a concept for us has always been way bigger than me and Bianca. 100%. So it's so exciting to have the opportunity to get some guest co-hosts on. 
And obviously, I promise to our listeners that I will continue to, you know, show up at her dressing room and make her sit down and talk to us because it's it's such an important part of our show and we love her. Yeah. And also, I think Ellie had a great idea too about, you know, I know we tried a couple on the Skype and the quality wasn't that great, but we've found some new software. So we're hoping maybe we could do some like snuggly bedtime talks as we're both like have put our little beans down and are, are you know, about ready to drift off to sleep because I feel like that's like authentic girlfriend talk. Yeah. <laughs> Ellie, the trooper that she is, is uh, in the bathroom hacking and, and uh, we're going to take a little break until Ellie can make her way back here. <laughs> okay. We're going to see if we can, if I can get through this segment without like hacking of a lung. <laughs> oh boy. It was so crazy going to San Antonio by myself for the weekend Yeah, because I was on the plane and there was a baby crying and the baby would not stop crying. Oh my God. Did you get anxious? No, not at all. A couple of my friends afterwards who don't have children yet asked me, they were like, do you, th- you know, are you more compassionate now that you're a parent? Yeah. Because that was driving me crazy. Yeah. And I was like, it actually relaxed me <laughs> because the idea of hearing another baby crying, I just kept remember reminding myself like, oh, thank God that's not my baby yeah. crying. And I felt bad for the parents. Yeah. Oh. So I am more compassionate now about that. But also it was just always this like, ah, oh, the sigh of like relief that it right. wasn't my problem. Right. Yeah. I Well, and it's just, oh my God, it's such a luxury to fly these days now when you go on on your own. It's like, I know. it's almost like a, like a trip to the day spa, right? It's so like, crazy. <laughs> I was like, I got a middle seat and I'm like, that's fine because there's way more room in a middle seat by myself than yeah. when I had a baby on me. <laughs> we, by the way, we do need to do an episode where we talk about flying with kids because we've had a couple of requests for, sure. for that. And, um, and I've, I've just now, it's funny because you think you you have it under control. Mm-hmm. Um, and then all of a sudden your child outgrows the infant seat and the stroller that you use. And so you, then you go to the heavy convertible seats, which go rear facing and front facing. And then it's a whole new, it's madness. But yes. Oh my God. Well, I mean, we're just trying to plan our, our Christmas plans right now. And Mike and I are like, no way, no flight over like six hours. We're not doing it. Cause as soon as they're up on their feet, it's like, they don't want to sit still. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's that, there's that tenuous time between like when they will actually pay attention to anything like on an iPad or anything. So it's like, you can't even get them to actually sit and like watch something. It's nuts. So, I mean, and, and like I quit breastfeeding and so I lost that. I know ability it's, it's to, like, and we talk about it all the time, but probably cause it's so traumatic. <laughs> it's so crazy. I know. So traumatic. And then the other thing that I had not thought about, uh, until this weekend was, the whole flower girl phenomenon. Oh. Because it was a very large wedding party. I was a bridesmaid and the bride was so sweet and thoughtful because she asked if Sabrina would like, would she, if she would please be a flower girl. I knew Adam would be uh, doing Undateable Live and that I would be flying solo. <laughs> I knew that flying solo with Sabrina to a wedding where I'm a bridesmaid is not a great idea because there'd be no one to whisk her away. And she asked me so sweetly, and I just was like, <laughs> oh, God, thank you so much. But no, I can't. I was like, you can't. For the sake of your marriage and your wedding, wedding. Sabrina will not be a flower yeah. girl. We will kindly Aww. decline that offer. It is so cute, though, when kids are. It is are- so cute. And then two of the other bridesmaids did have their flower girls. So then I felt a little bad. But they were adorable, and they did a fantastic job. And um, and their husbands were there, so they had some support. Yeah. yeah. But they were really cute in the dresses. I always think how cute they are in the photos, but it is like a thing. A, yeah. You just see the stress of the parents always. Like yeah. whenever there are little kids at the wedding, the parents are so stressed out. Yeah. Because the kids talk and they like babble during oh, it's, the speeches. It? And then you could see the other people got like kind of tense and stressed out and start looking back at the kids that are babbling. This was not the flower girls, by the way. These are other children. I am so used to hearing Sabrina. It's almost like I'm in a, in like a zoo. Like you just hear all these little yeah. sounds all the time and you get used to it and it's not a thing. Yeah. But like during the mother of the bride's speech, you hear the like, <laughs> Everyone keeps looking back and they get all mad. I know. People People need to lighten up. I get it. I mean, I get when you don't have kids, you don't really know. But like, 
It's so hard. It and is. And then, like, but- the idea of having to entertain the children for hours. I mean, unless I, I feel like I should say this, the bride was so amazing. Like, she had babysitters there, like, ready to help. Oh, wow. Like, she really was- She went above and beyond. Way above and beyond. Well, in every aspect. Yeah. And this, this bride is dynamite. But I- I was so glad Sabrina wasn't there. <laughs> Plus, it's just, I mean, it is like when you have those adult moments, it's so amazing. Like I can have a glass of wine and just lay back and relax and like not think about where is my child running around. I mean, of course, I'm like texting constantly to my yeah. husband because you can't really, right? Because like yeah. that if she's still, like my heart was still in LA. Yeah, and then the, the, the flight, like that, the other thing is, and you've mentioned this in the past, I, d- I never was afraid of flying, well, until we did the Stephanie Nielsen episode <sighs> because she was in a horrible plane crash. But also, now that I have a daughter, I'm so much more afraid of dying. And yeah. I would, on the plane, I just normally would be like, well, whatever. Yeah. And now it's like, no, 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 no. This is really important, guys. Yeah. Can we please <laughs> keep it together, uh, keep it I in know. the air? I know. It's 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 crazy how it uh I mean I've always been a fearful flyer and uh so th- this just kind of compounds that. But um you know, listen, not to like <laughs> go a little bit darker, but oh good. But <laughs> you do, I mean, statistically your chances are far higher. I mean, like it's nuts not so higher of of having something happen in a car. I know. Than in a plane. And we all unthinkingly just get in our cars every day. Oh, no. I'm a nervous wreck. Are you? When you drive? Oh, yeah. I'm so much better. I used to- Actually, I don't know why that why that's- I used to- It used to be a real problem. Really? I wouldn't want to drive friends to the airport, not only because I wouldn't want to spend two hours in the car, but because I would be afraid of, yeah, the accidents. I'm not a great driver. Yeah. Oh, well. I get nervous. I hesitate. I yeah. kind of close my eyes through lights. Oh, no. That's not a good idea. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, I'm kidding, people. If, uh, if anything ever happens to me, I don't actually close my eyes through lights. So let's not put that out on the stand. Well, she said on her she podcast. On the podcast. Um, I'm, my panties are all in a wad. What? Please tell me why. Okay. Because there's a Time magazine article that recently came out, and the cover is Help. My parents are millennials. How this generation is changing the way we raise kids by Katie Steinmetz. Mm -hmm. Here's what bothers me about it. The title. It's it's an interesting article. It talks about a lot of stuff that we talk about on the podcast every week. So I feel like we've been blazing the trail for time. (laughs) You feel like maybe we should have, they should have thrown a little credit our way. Yeah. I feel like we should have at least gotten a shout out because they talk a lot about how you know, from the time that babies are in the womb, they are now on Facebook and on Instagram and that every moment is photographed and shared with the world. What one thing that I thought was super interesting is they talk about how helicopter parenting, which is the previous generation, there was a lot of helicopter parenting, which is sort of the you control what your children do and they have tons of scheduled activities and you've got to have your fingers and everything. And now I thought this was pretty clever. They're calling it drone parenting, which is so true, which is where we, where we <laughs> were amazing. still very present in watching everything, but we're not interfering and we're, it's sort of the child led experience. Right. Oh my God, that's oh, that's hilarious, isn't that great? Um, but I, here, my beef is with the whole help. My parents are millennials because help exclamation point. They don't need help. I think we're doing a great job as parents. We're asking so many more questions than previous generations have asked. We're, I feel like we're more present than previous generations. I there was some. Oh, I think it was in Lean In. There was some statistic about how. Working moms now spend more time with their children than stay-at-home moms did, I think, in the seventies. I'll have to fact-check that, but there was something like that, which is right. crazy. So I think millennial, like we're present with our kids. I think it's great. This whole help thing. No. Well, so what is what does the article say is the help issue? Like, what do they say the kids need help or or saving from? 
I mean, I guess just sort of the oversaturation of the children's images online. I think, honestly, they just wanted... Time Magazine was like, oh, we're going to get every reader over 35 because we're shitting on the younger generation by saying help. Right. Because everyone wants to hate on millennials anyway. Right. there's a great little paragraph I'll read. Open-minded, empathetic, questioning... These are qualities millennial parents list when asked what they want their kids to be like when they become adults. And these millennial parents may be achieving their desired result. Uh, Sorry, Powazak, who she runs a toy store. Anyway, she says that while the parents she sees at her store are constantly questioning, the kids seem more confident and more verbal. They're used to talking and wanting to be heard. I think that's a victory, man. If we can raise open-minded, empathetic, questioning right. future well, adults. I agree. I mean, I agree with that part. I also agree with the other part, which is that it's, uh, you know, the question is, are are we giving our kids too much of an identity out in the world with social media before they actually have a chance to make an identity for themselves? And, and That's that, totally, yeah, I hear you there. And that I agree with. In, in fact, you know, I, I definitely struggle with it on mine because there's things that Magnolia that does that are cute and I'm like, oh, I'll put it up. But I also, you know, then I'm like, there's, you know, 20,000 individuals that look at my my feed who now have pictures of my daughter that are like kind of 20,000 you're up to 50,000 on Twitter girlfriend. <laughs> well, it's just, you know, I mean, I struggle with it and I definitely like, you know, I mean, now there's people who have lifestyle blogs and mama websites and things where their kids are used as part of their job almost. I mean, mm-hmm. I don't know. Can you talk about that if like it's so hard because I don't even have a, I can't even really imagine what that would be like because I don't have any reference for that. Like, what would it feel like if I grew up and I knew I could go online and see pictures of myself from when I was a kid? Okay. So time has the answer. Oh, okay. good. So I'm going to read further. Perhaps the biggest unknown is what it will mean for this new generation to have had every life milestone from birthdays to baths documented extensively online. Children growing up will have multiple identities says the University of Michigan's Schoenbeck. Sorry, Schoenbeck, if I missaid your name. Okay. They will have a more public one that has been created by their parents, that's been cultivated by grandparents, but they will maintain a more personal and private independent identity as well. Because because I guess everybody's going to have so many images up of them that they're going to be more private with their own stuff. I don't know. Well, I mean, that depends. It depends if they are, if they have an adverse reaction to their life kind of being broadcast that way. But I do agree with, I definitely agree with you because before you're even able to choose what kind of clothes you like to wear, there's pictures of you now in those clothes and those clothes being a person by the way, with comments, with comments on like, Mrs. Bossy Pants, like, I mean, that's yeah. stupid, but like, but like I know. we work, we are as yeah. captioning what our kids are and right. what they look like and, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The way that we're labeling our children. Although, you know, that goes back, that it's more public now, but I can speak from personal experience yeah. growing up in Texas that parents have been image sculpting for a while with their children and sort of like what they should wear. I mean, you go back to the eighties and it's like Laura Ashley dresses or you should wear, I mean, I remember my dad trying to take me to Brooks brothers because he just wanted me to have a pair of loafers. I mean, it's a shock. I had any friends ever, but that was his version, right? Right. Like, thank God that wasn't online. I have some pictures of it. Yeah. Of me, you know, in my khakis and cause he always wanted me to be in khakis and a, a button-down denim shirt. I mean, this is my single dad, like really. Well, and I mean, <laughs> making you, me look super cool. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you think about like I wasn't allowed to shave my legs until I was I was supposed to be until my eighth grade graduation, but I was so hairy and had so many people make fun of me that I finally broke down and got my dad to agree that it needed to happen earlier. But like, you look at that. I mean, that my parents have always been yeah sort of doing this or at least in with our own parents. But now it is crazy because it's become uh, commerce. But you know what's so funny when you said the thing about, lab- you know, the hashtag or labeling? Since Sabrina was a year old, I always think of her as my little giggle boss 
because I was in a mommy and me group and for graduation, they, they got their handprints and their footprints. And then you're supposed to say two words to describe them. And giggle boss came to mind and it was perfect. And it's so funny because she still is. And I'll let it go. Like if she changes, right. then I'll let that go. But that was like the perfect description of her. But I feel like that, like, I feel like that's a little bit different because that's like your, your description of what your relationship is to her. Not so much saying like, that's who she is. That's like, oh, this is how, what our relationship is. I you know? know. I think she is a giggle boss. A giggle boss. Well, I know. But even if she, it's not like... If she decides that she wants to have a different attitude or a different character, yeah, I'm not going to try and like push no, that on her. Which, you know, I don't know. I mean, who knows? I, for God's sake, I sakes. totally hear what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, it, it's <laughs> the thing is like you you brought up a very good point, which is like it's always kind of been that way. Does it make a difference when it's in? Uh, physical photo form with a caption on it versus are just our experience. I mean, I, I feel like, are we going to be able to see all of those photos? No, everyone's going to have their photos online. So is it going to be a big difference? I mean, listen, for every generation, there's that thing that defined us, that made us different, that made us more advanced, that scared our grandparents and our parents and rock and, and roll. Yeah. It's going to corrupt the little ones. You know I mean? It's like, it's just the the continuous cycle of life advancing forward. And, you know, Mike and I were having a very in-depth conversation about this the other day because I said, I said, I, I do think that like eventually our forward motion of technology is going to be our demise. Like there, we're eventually going to create <laughs> things that are so powerful. It's like Terminator. It's like, we will create so much technology that we will be rendered obsolete. Maybe. Or maybe everyone will become a hipster and we'll all just live in the woods and go back to I mean, one can hope. Page, like <laughs> actual books. One can hope. But like, we're kind of going back there, man. I feel like there's like a real wave of popularity, like with Montessori. Like with our children, I feel like we are. Yeah, but we're also we're also a very. I think there are groups of people that are that way, but I also think that's not necessarily the norm. I mean, I think right for for most everyone, it's faster, cheaper, easier. You know, let's see how we can get this all done more quickly and need less hands to do it and have it be at a really low cost. And that seems to be the forward momentum for a lot of things, certainly in, in industry. And, you know, I mean, Mike was saying that the, the next wave is like machines that have conscience that like actually care and are able to, you can like dial up something that will give you the same feeling as like another human being could. And it's like, Oh my God, we're, I, it's crazy. It's crazy when you start to imagine the world that our kids are going to be adults in. I mean, who knows? Anything is possible. And certainly we can hope that th the movement will be towards a more kind and caring universe where people do actually put a premium on feelings and on well-being and on mental health and on all of those things that we think are very important. But who knows? We'll be right back. So, Fill us in. I want to know about Magnolia. Oh God, what is going on? It's been weeks. Oh, it's been weeks. So we finally got a nanny. She's fantastic. Um, but our nanny coincided with Magnolia hitting the year and a half major uh, separation anxiety milestone, which also coincides with the major 18-month sleep regression milestone. <laughs> and I feel so, like there's a sleep regression milestone every month, I right? I feel like that too. I mean, I, every time I, every time I go online to like look up what's going on, I feel like there's always, a, there is, I was really, we've got an app for that. Like yep. it's, there's always some explanation for what's going on. And, you know, it's, I have to be honest, it's been really hard for me. I mean, as much as it's been hard not to see my husband and cause he works nights and he works during the day. So we've like basically just been ships passing in the night. Um, and hard not to like be able to schedule stupid little things like a dentist appointment or whatever, and not to get in to be able to do the podcast. The hardest thing has been, this is the first time in Magnolia's life that I have not been with her every day because last year I was breastfeeding and I brought her to set every day with me. So she was still with me. And even when 
I'm doing things that, you know, when I'm not on undateable and I'm working just in life, I use my nanny as like a crutch to kind of fall back on, but like they go everywhere with me. And so this was a huge, huge deal, a huge transition for both Magnolia and I, and neither of us handled it very well. I, I have an, an enormous amount of guilt and I'm trying to work through that right now because I love what I do for a living, but I'm trying to like, yeah, kind of reason with myself if it makes sense to do it, to miss out on time with my daughter. And, you know, part of what's helping me is that this beautiful new nanny that we have is sending me pictures and videos and Magnolia's having a damn good time. It's just brutal when I leave in the morning and I've actually been late quite a bit to work because I literally cannot peel her off of my yeah. legs. And there's nothing worse uh, when you already feel guilty about something and then their, you know, behavior, she's like reinforcing it, screaming mama, mama. And then I get home from work and she says, mama, miss you working, Uh, papa working. And so, you know, it's hard. Like as a parent, you just question, is this the right thing to do at this time in her life? But I also know that like when I'm home 24 seven with her, I lose my mind. Like I'm clearly someone who needs to be at work and thrives off of being at work. And that makes me a better mother for her. So it's just a time I think of a lot of questions. And, you know, also I have dreams for myself and my career to be, and not that I'm not grateful for this job. I love this job. I I have uh, an incredible time doing it. I love everyone involved. Um, but obviously artistically there, I mean, I, I got into this business loving drama and doing drama and, and I miss it. I'm, I, for the last decade, I've been doing multicam. Um, and again, not complaining. I know I don't have to put disclaimers out there, but I realize there are a lot of people in this town who would kill to be in the position that I'm in, but it is hard when you are leaving your kid at home and you're doing something that isn't yet quite at the level of what you strive for, what you dream of, and, you know, kind of reasoning with yourself, how does this make sense? How do I rationally kind of look at this and and say like, this is okay. Uh, and it's crazy. The guilt, it's crazy. It, it just, it makes me, it incapacitates me sometimes. And, uh, you know, you feel like you're missing out on all these little precious moments. Do you think that if you were doing a drama that you wouldn't feel as much guilt? I don't think it's that if I was doing a drama, I think it's if I was doing something that really um, drove me creatively, that really inspired me and that made me feel like I was waking up every morning and terrified to play a character. And I, if I felt like I was really, I mean, not to sound like a complete, um, you know, snob, but I think like if I was doing something that really uh, was driving me artistically, I think that that would feel different. Um, because in some ways, uh, you know, there are things that I definitely can find to complain about. And can't we all, I mean, we all do about our jobs. We find things that, that could be better or could be different. But I think when you have something that maybe isn't really scratching that itch for you, then it's like, I mean, in all other walks of life, you can say like, oh, it's fine. Cause further down the road, I'll get that job that will make me feel that way. Or I'll do something this way that will, you know, but when you have a child, it's like, you feel like that time is possibly robbing you of something greater. And that's what I struggle the the most with. And I say that you guys, because I know there's a lot of you out there who probably feel the same. And, you know, I just want you to know that like, I get it and I feel the same exact way. And it's, I don't know if there's a right or wrong answer to that. I think it's important just to embrace that you're feeling that way and really try to, now I've tried to start doing all of my emails, anything that I have to do on my phone, anything that I have to do that would take me away from Magnolia, I try to get it done here so that when I go home, I'm a hundred percent fully present, even if it's just for the hour before bed. And, uh, you know, there's so many things that you can do, I think, to help make sure that the time that you do have with them is like the utmost quality. And also, like I said, I get these videos and like, as soon as I'm gone and she, the tears dry up, like she's having the time of her life. Like she's with, uh, this, this, our new nanny Giselle has like taken on the park and all of its occupant occupants. Like it is her, uh, mm. personal mission. And she's like setting up playdates extraordinaire and, 
I mean, I, in all the time that we've had nannies, there have never been kids invited over to our house. And like once a week, they're all at our house, like four or five kids, and they just have a party. And I love that. And, and, in, and in those moments, it makes me feel like this is exactly what should be happening with Magnolia. Magnolia should be having her own life. And, you know, when our time is together, that's great. But she should also be learning to be an independent person, which she 100% is. And then we're like super happy to see each other when we, when we reunite. So, but it's rough. Do you, it's, do you think when you say goodbye to Magnolia, she can sense your reticence to leave? You know, I don't think so only because like, I am really ready to leave in the morning. Like I am, I am, I'm excited to get to work. Uh, I'm excited to see everyone I work with. I mean, I do have so much fun here and it, it's, it is a great balance. I mean, if it was only the guilt that I was feeling and only all of the bad stuff, then I certainly just wouldn't be doing this job anymore. I mean, I would find a way to, to have my life Mm -hmm. just be life at home. So clearly like this is important to me. And but do you feel torn in that moment? Do you feel torn? I don't, I, I really only feel torn, um, when she starts to cry because I, I really, I've been very cognizant of letting her have her experience of what it means for me to go. And I, I will say that in the last month, I think this is something that I have mastered in my relationship with her. You know, I think our talks with Janet Lansbury really helped me with this. And that is that I found, I have found a place of extreme calmness with her in moments of turmoil. So whether it be that she's throwing a tantrum, whether it be that she's really upset, really even happy that she, uh, I'm, I'm getting much better about letting her have that space to, to, to be there and to not let my own emotions and perception, or I guess, um, my own meaning system behind what's happening, flavor, whatever mm-hmm. her experience is. And I've noticed that that has really affected our relationship positively. We went to, uh, yesterday we got up in the morning, we went, um, a new donut shop opened on Abbott Kinney in Venice where I live. And, um, we went there and we're thinking like, oh, we're getting up early on a Sunday and we're going to, you know, beat everyone there. And there was already a line around the corner. And like, these better be damn good donuts. And, we waited in line and of course Magnolia was having fun and there were dogs and there were other kids and she was, but by the time we got like to the, where we were almost inside the store front, she started to lose it. And, um, she started to throw a major tantrum and she had flung one of her boots off and she didn't want to put it back on. And so I crouched down at her level and I just, I, I, remember thinking like I had a little pat myself on the shoulder moment where I was like, I'm feel so calm right now. Like I don't feel any thought of like, what are, what's everyone else mm-hmm. thinking? I it almost <laughs> felt like I had one of those, like, oh my God, my brain is so gone that I, I can't even th- come up with words, but like where it's like everyone else and your peripheral bleeds out and it's like just you and you and the person in front of you. And, and I just was like really present with her and sorry, you're upset. If you don't want to put your boot on, you don't have to. And I'm here. I, and that's, a, that's something that, um, I think is important that I have learned. And, you know, Janet really influenced me by saying like, the words don't always have to be right. They just have to be your own. And one word that for me has really kind of clicked is I'm here. And, uh, I went in moments where she's starting to go over the the edge in terms of a tantrum or a breakdown, I'll, I'll look at her and I'll say, it's okay. I'm here. And, and I usually don't have to say anything else. And I don't know if it's as much for her as it is that it centers and calms me. And it makes, reminds me of what my place and what my role is. And so it's like, I'm here means, um, I'm strong, I'm capable, I'm present, I'm not going to sway you in any direction to have, to have whatever experience I need you to have in this moment. I'm just here to wit, to bear witness and to hold the space for you. And she has like in the middle of it, a crazy tantrum will look at me and it's always such a beautiful moment. Cause like her eyes will just be totally filled with tears and like, it's like the calm will come over. And I realize like it's a, it's a reflection of my ability to kind of stand in that moment and not fluctuate. And that's been a game changer for me. Um, so, you know, I think like 
to, to rope all the way back to your question initially, it's like, I, I don't think that in those moments it has anything to do with other than her expressing what she's expressing. And then like, I have my moment at work when I get here and then I get those pictures or videos and I'm like, man, I want to be there. I want to be watching her and playing with her and doing these things. And then it sucks because I get home and I'm so freaking tired and I feel like, God, I'm now, now I can't be present because I'm so tired. And so I just do the best I can, you know, sorry, there was a little bit of a tirade on my, on my magical, um, experience, but it, you know, it's been, it's just been, I feel like there's people here at work that like, I'm scaring away from having kids because I, I've been very honest about how hard this has been. And, you know, everyone's like, well, shit. I mean, I don't know if I want to have kids based on that. And I was like, well, here's the thing. Like, I wish people had been honest with me about how hard this is and how difficult this is and how every day you have moments where you like think there's no way I can do this. Like I am sucking at this so hard right now. And I feel like that tenfold having to juggle two jobs now, you know, being mom to her and my, and my life job, my real life job, that's my real life. But, you know, I think that like, I'm just trying to like, at least stay with, I don't know. Honestly, I have moments where I'm just like, how am I going to continue to do this? It's, it's hard. It's really hard. But I just, I try to look to people that I admire who are doing it, I guess as like a... And how do you look to them? Do you look, do you write them? Do you know them personally? No, I mean, work? I guess, I guess I just, um, I, I guess I just kind of look at like, and it's not necessarily people in the public eye. It's like friends of mine that like, wow, it looks like, she really has it together and she's doing it. And I think what hel- what's helpful is... So, but when you see, when you're saying that, are you saying seeing them in public like that or through Instagram? Yeah. Or- I mean, definitely like if it, if it's an actor or someone who's like working a lot and who I know has kids, I will like, yeah, I'll go to their Instagram and look at their photos and be like, oh, look, they went out and did this and they did this and they did this. The hard part with that is like, I don't really know what their life is like, right? right. So I don't really know if they are succeeding because maybe they are Because I saw pumpkin patch pictures from you <laughs> Yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, absolutely. And so are you inspired by that, seeing them out and about, or does that make you feel... No, it is inspiring. Okay. It makes it makes me feel like at least, at the very least, everyone's putting on happy faces, right? I mean, maybe everyone's kind of feeling the same, but like... But, but I do think what's, I do think what's really helpful to me is like when I have a friend who has four kids who is... Uh, you know, traveling around the world and who will say like, yeah, it's incredibly difficult. And so then that is actually more helpful to me because I think when I know like, okay, they're having a really hard time too, but they look like it's all really good. Right, right, right. Then that's like, okay, so maybe this is the reality. Maybe this is really how it goes. Maybe this is, maybe it isn't everyone's having an incredibly easy time doing this. Maybe no, we're it's just really hard. It's yeah. like whether you're traveling to four or other countries or if you are just staying in your home and you haven't left your like <laughs> 30 mile radius in years, it's hard. It's really hard. I keep saying to Mike, like, I feel like the, the motto of parenthood is damned if you do, damned if you don't. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it doesn't matter what you do. It's going to be hard. And I think that that's even more reason to like never, never assume that you know what anybody is going through or having what kind of time that they're having with it. Because I think we're all, it's all hard. And even if somebody, you know, I feel like a common comment that I hear all the time is like, well, she probably has like 10 nannies. Yeah, but maybe she has 10 nannies and she feels guilty a thousand percent every day. And this is the only, you know what I mean? It's like, who knows what everyone's experience is. And just because you think that they're doing it this way and so that must mean it's easier, it doesn't necessarily compute. Like, I I think that it's just hard and we're all going to feel a little bit guilty no matter what direction we go in. Um, And maybe that means that there needs to be uh, a redefining or a reframing of, uh, what it means to all of us to be successful as a parent, because I think right now we, what do you, wait, what do you see at, like, how do you define success as a parent? Mm-hmm. Shoot. Uh, <laughs> what do I define it as? Or what I, what would I like to define it as? Um, I, I mean, I guess, I guess for me, knowing what I know now, success as a parent is um, 
I know this may sound lame, but like just that you're able to be honest with yourself about where you're at. Because if I told myself like, you know, I mean, there's clearly the ideas that are archaic, like I'm successful as a parent because all my kids made it into Ivy League schools or they're, you know, huge sports. Yeah, like that. There's that definition that for a long time I think was really kind of held as, you know, this is, this is, you put these people up on a pedestal and that's what we all aspire to. But now I think it's like if you can just, or maybe it's the, to be, be able to be honest with yourself about what kind of parent you are and just be the best version of that that you can be. Because everyone, we're all in different situations. Everyone is, uh, whether you're stay at home or you're working or you're splitting it with your significant other or you're a single parent, like it's impossible to compare, compare all of those different walks of parenthood. And, you know, for me, the days that I feel best at the end of the day are the days that I allowed whatever was present in my head and my heart to be there without judging it. So like I, there are days that I really get down on myself because I feel like, I don't know, for example, one day I had the nanny come and I like, my goal was like, okay, the nanny's going to come and she's going to take her to the park. And in that time I'm getting my entire bedroom like sparkling clean so that when Magnolia goes down for her nap, instead of feeling like I have to clean something, I'm actually able to lay down, read a book and feel good about myself. Well, the minute they left, I like looked at social media. I watched some stupid TV program. I ate a bunch of shitty food and did nothing. So by the time they came home, I was not only feeling guilty that I didn't get all that stuff done. I was also feeling guilty that I lost time with Magnolia just to do nothing, even though maybe that's what I needed. Who knows? So I guess like if I could just have been honest with myself in that moment and said, today, what I really need is to be an irresponsible person and to just act like a teenager and do these few things and not feel guilty about it, then that day would have felt so much more productive. But instead I like the productiveness to me meant that I had to do something that, that I could see at the end of the day that was visually like, oh, I cleaned my room and that was a responsible thing to do. Well, isn't that such a hard part of parenting too, that with work or other aspects of our lives, you can step back and be like, oh, I accomplished that. Yeah. My husband, you know, like at the end of the week, it's like there's a show on TV, like all that hard work, there's a show on TV. And then with our children, it's like Groundhog Day every morning. (laughs) You just start again. And at the end of the day, the house is in a bigger mess. And yes, our children grow and we can look back on the years and be like, oh my God, she grew so fast. But in the moments, there aren't these sort of, there isn't this checklist of like, oh, I accomplished that. Yeah. Because they're constantly like changing and thriving and it's such a, it's it's pretty wild not to be able to sort of say like, I to hit the milestones. Yeah. Because then they always are regression. Well, and don't you think too, like parenthood is such a strange phenomenon in that like we go into it with these absolutes of how we're going to be, right? Like everybody does that. Everybody says like, I'm not going to be the parent that allows my kid to sit with the iPad at the table. Yeah, what did you say before you were a parent? What was, what is... Well, that. I mean, I was like, okay, well, I'm never like- going to be that family that's at dinner, like looking at their iPads or their iPhones. My kids are going to eat all organic and like never have, you know, crappy stuff. I mean, at one point, I think I even went as far as to say like, we're not eating sugar, which is crazy. <laughs> You know, I'm oh, one thing was I was doing cloth diapering. Like, I spent hours, I mean, I'm not exaggerating, probably a couple weeks worth of uh, research online when I was pregnant, getting the best cloth diapers, figuring out the best system. Because I don't know if you know this, but it's like wine in that there are so many different varieties. <laughs> there are like, I mean, there's the creme yeah. de la creme and there's the like yeah, shit I mean, like ones. regular diapers too, yeah, right? Yeah. Like- oh, totally. And I spent probably, I mean, I don't know exactly, but a couple hundred dollars on setting myself up with my first stash of cloth diaper. Not one, Ellie. I did not put one cloth diaper on my child. Oh, maybe one. Try it once. Maybe once. Maybe one I did. And then what happened? They were so bulky. I couldn't get her clothes on. And I was like, and then it looked a little uncomfortable. And at first she was so tiny that they didn't seem like they fit her. And I was like, screw this. Like, I'm not doing this. And that seems to be the case with so many things. And 
I feel like, you know, I mean, I was never going to let Magnolia watch cartoons and like she's been in the sleep regression. And so she's been getting up at 5 a.m. And, you know, because Mike worked nights, what that means is I get home from work. I take care of Magnolia until she goes to sleep. I have an hour or two with my husband before he leaves for work. Then I have like an hour maybe to myself total before I have to go to sleep. And then she's been waking up at like sometimes 4 a.m. and 5 a.m. And I have to get up with her because Mike gets home at like one in the morning. And so it's been, it's been, I've been kind of in this like crazy zone where I'm definitely not getting enough sleep. I'm a hundred percent not getting enough alone time and I'm just surviving. Like I'm just in strict survival mode. And I just, the other morning I was like, uh, pardon my French, but fuck it. You're watching cartoons. Like you're getting into bed with me. We're all cuddling up together. And you know, and that's what I think is the, is the, one of the hardest things as parents is realizing like drop the absolutes. You're not going to ruin your child because you've decided to do something that you swore up and down before they were born that you weren't going to do. Like sometimes it's the only answer. That was what was so exciting about talking to Stephanie Nielsen in our podcast. Uh, the writer of the Nini dialogues about releasing expectations and because with her daughter, she was she thought she would nurse till a certain age, and then she didn't do it. And then she was like, "Why was I? Why did I feel so bad about that? Yeah. Like, why did I have these expectations that I had to get to a certain point? Yeah, and I, I was done at a year, and it was fine, is what she said. You know, like that was that was really great. Well, and I think what would be interesting for people is to look at like why, like, are you? Do you? I mean, I, I do think that that all of those things that I mentioned that I wanted to do, there were good reasons behind them. But I also think when I'm very honest with myself, that a large part of some of those reasons were also because of the way that I felt like it made me look as a parent, like, wow, she really cares about the environment, you know, or she really is, uh, you know, one of those parents who isn't lazy because she doesn't want to, um, you know, all my own preconceived notions, of course, but like, if I, if I'm a parent that's going to sit at the table with my child and let them watch, you know, videos, that means I'm not engaged. I know I'm engaged. I know that I'm, you know, that I parent from a place of love and concern and depth. And I think that's probably the most valuable lesson for me thus far. And even, even now I haven't fully wrapped my head around it and I probably won't ever completely, but is that to define myself as a parent based on my own worth, not based on what I think other people may think about me because of how I do things. And, you know, that's like, I mean, I remember when we sat down with Claire um, Kramer, you know, the actress and CEO who, you know, had these like seemingly some outrageous ideas of how to do things as a parent. And you know what? She didn't care because that's the way that she chose to parent. And do you think they were seemingly outrageous? Um, there were a couple of things that I was like, whoa, yeah, personally, <laughs> I mean, whoa. I mean, maybe seemingly outrageous is a little, uh, a little dramatic, but, I, but there were definitely a couple of things that, that I was, but it made me feel better because I was like, oh wow, here's someone who's like doing things her own way. Yeah, and she stands in her own mama power Yeah, and she doesn't care yeah. what other people think. And I, and it's I think great. it's, it's so true. It's like, I mean, it's really hard and I get that. And especially as, you know, being somebody who is like in a, in a more kind of public industry, you know, you do, you do, you get wrapped up in like, what's so-and-so going to think if I do something this way or how are, you know, I'm clearly not a good mom if I do this or this or this. And I really do hope that we can all start to progress in the direction of coming back around to owning knowing and owning our own worth based on what we think of ourselves. And we'll be right back. We're going to do two mom bombs today. Mine is going to be more of a mom ramble. (laughs) Uh, I recently put up great little blog through Yahoo Parenting. It's kids who talk back become more successful adults. <laughs> oh, well, that's good to know. And experts agree that this behavior is actually developmentally healthy for kids. What really resonated for me was this part. The experts agree this behavior is actually developmentally healthy for kids. Clinical psychologist Kelly M. Flanagan explains that 
quote, the inability to say no, the inability to set personal boundaries is one of the most common insidious causes of human suffering. And I can personally attest to that, man. I can totally attest to that. And I agree with that wholeheartedly. So if our kids can get comfortable with saying no and setting boundaries, you know what? It's a huge pain in the ass for us, but it's wonderful for them when they get older. Yeah. As long as, you know, I can already imagine the moms in my head being like, no, 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 no. But I'm just saying if they, when they get older, if, if we can raise them so they can say no and have personal boundaries, then they're going to have such a happier, better yeah, life. I mean, I, you know, look, I think that the way that you handle when your child does speak up for themselves is huge. And, you know, I know for me, when I, in the past, I'm getting better about it now, but have had tried to say my piece or say something that I believe to be the truth, I would get super shaky and I would lose all certainty in what I was saying. And it's really hard because sometimes in my household, if you spoke up for yourself and it wasn't what was wanted, you know, what the other person wanted to hear, that means you wouldn't be spoken to for a little bit of time. You got the silent treatment. And so I know that it's taken me a long time to overcome, to realize that like, it's okay to say your piece and know that it may not be what the other person agrees with. Um, but that it's okay to speak up for yourself. And, um, that's a beautiful way to put it, Bianca. Yeah. And if I had only listened to this podcast when I was little, maybe I wouldn't have spent so much money in therapy. <laughs> oh, wouldn't we all? Okay. So my mom bomb, one thing that I'm totally into right now uh, is learning about attention and about where you choose to put your attention. And attention is energy. And when you, when you choose to put your energy on positive things and good things and you know, try to limit the amount of crappy news you're watching and bad TV and all of that, but also just in life. I mean, we, we seem to gossips in on what and gossips and gossips. Yes. No, the people that like bring you down with the gossiping. So true. I mean, and, and I think like at any given moment, you know, you can choose to think about something that, uh, is negative or brings you down, or you can choose to think about something positive. And I think that it's a very empowering skill set to to realize that you always have a choice about what you're putting your attention on. And one of those things that uh, you can think about where where your attention is and the way that you're thinking is, um, I think, reflected in this quote, which is, uh, what you intend for others is what you intend for yourself. And uh, I think that to me, I heard that this morning and I, I'm actually have to find where, where I heard it because I can't remember now um, the author or the or the brilliant mind that it came from. But to me, that means that when you think things in a certain way about other people, uh, it, it almost always will reflect how you think about yourself. And, uh, you know, I think we don't always realize that, that, um, the judgments or that the things that we hold to be true about others are generally speaking a mirror into how we feel or think about ourselves. And it can be a good way to check yourself and to maybe realize where you need a little additional love or caring or nurturing um, and to be gentle. and We can only love others as much as we can love ourselves. Exactly. That's what Derek O'Neill said once. Yeah. yeah. So, um, you know, I think that's a, it's a good little exercise to, to leave this podcast with is just maybe during the course of the day, look in, and pay attention to where you put your attention and see if it's on things that make you happy or see if it's on things that make you sad. Because I think that that is more in our control than we ever really understand. Trust in your goodness. Live out your greatness. And rock on. Atomic Atomic Moms. Moms. Who has a cough drop? 